Good morning, Tony. <laughs> I need to remember to never change the password on my computer on a Saturday night. That would be a big mistake. <laughs> ah, can't get in. <laughs> well, good morning again. It's good to see you guys. You guys getting into the swing of fall? Whatever that means. Yeah, how about 34 degrees yesterday morning? Wow. Yikes. I'm not acclimated yet. I love it, but I'm not acclimated yet. I had to come home and build a fire after that. It's scandalous. So, Anyway. Hey, I'm going to pray again just uh, for you and for me. So, Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that you speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Speak to our intuition, you speak to our minds and our hearts, and in whatever way you speak to each of us, we ask you to do that today, Father. We, we want to hear from you. We've taken time away from the week to receive and to give, and so we ask you to fill us with your spirit now for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to cover a lot this morning, and if you're ever a note taker, this might be a good morning to take notes. So if I see your phone out, I know that you're taking notes. So that's, that'll be encouraging uh, because there's a lot to say. I do want to remind you that we are kind of talking about our roots or our foundation as believers just to remind us all of why we do what we do, why we gather, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we've been stating every Sunday when we, when we start out right away that um, Jesus prayed in John 17 kind of the ultimate thing that he was fighting for, that he came for, and that he was working for. And that is that humanity would be invited into the oneness of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So before creation, Father, Son, and Spirit were a community uh, that experienced love, that they experienced each other. And together, out of that relationship, uh, it was a very productive relationship. And they produced what we know as creation and what we know as us. And that's what flowed out of Father, Son, and Spirit. So through Jesus, we've been invited into that that intimate relationship, that oneness, that creativity, that beauty for life. And even though our lives are still in the midst of brokenness, we are being called out of that, and we're growing out of that. And I I pray that's your experience, that as you walk with Jesus daily, that you're growing away from brokenness and towards wholeness and wholeness in Jesus Christ. And purpose, especially purpose. Not only did Jesus come to make us one with the Father and Son, but he came to make us one with each other. And so through what Jesus has done, there should be a fairly quick and easy closeness that we experience with one another. My biggest experience of that was over kind of the last five years at the last church I was at. I helped to start small groups, uh, community groups, and I started, I don't know, probably 30 of them in a couple of years, and I got to meet with everyone to start with for about a month. And it never failed. Uh, I would meet each time with between 12 and 20 people I did not know but they were Jesus followers after about four weeks together. I wanted to be a part of that group. It was another great group of Christians. And it really is true that when we follow Jesus and when we receive the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit, we are a new kind of human, a delightful kind of human, uh, and a a kind of human worth knowing. And we want to step into that more. So last week, we were in 1 Corinthians 12, and Paul introduced us to what I would call maybe the power tools of spirituality. Um, He brings in some new things. So um, I want to use that metaphor this morning, power tools, in a really broad sense. Um, I was sitting in Starbucks a couple mornings ago, 
And I realized in Starbucks, there's a dozen power tools in there. You know, there's, there's things that make things really hot and things that mix things up and things that chop things up. Basically, a power tool is kind of anything that has a motor in it, and there were several in there. Um, you probably have power tools where you work, no matter where you work. There's some things you use that have motors in them that make you more efficient and make your job easier. I, over 30 years, have collected a garage full of power tools, which I love. I brought one of them with me this morning just to be an illustration. So this is a power tool. It works, right? So I have to tell you, um, we bought a house 30 years ago with this giant hedge around it. It's a 100-foot hedge. There's 60 feet of it on Pine Street, and then there's 40 feet of it that goes down the sign on 80th. And no one had touched the hedge for probably, I don't know, five or 10 years. And it's a laurel hedge. So you guys have driven from Sherwood to Tigard, right? You are seeing laurel hedges when you do that, and they are monstrous. They are 30 feet tall and 15 feet wide. This one wasn't that bad, but this is all I had to prune it the first time. And that was really a lot of work. I don't know. I think I'd spent four days, eight hours, one branch at a time cutting this hedge, and it was exhausting, and I learned to hate my hedge. But, but for the other 360 days a year, I do love the hedge. It's safe. It, it uh, keeps the noise down. So a couple years after that, I bought this. Oh, it's so much fun. So you can turn it like this and do the front, and then you can turn it and do the top. You can pull this button. So good. So power tools is the metaphor today. Jesus himself used power tools. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of the men and women that were leading the Jewish church or the synagogue, uh, when he came, were using themselves. They were teaching and they were talking kind of from human authority. When Jesus showed up, people said, wow, he teaches with authority. And they were making a clear contrast between the way Jesus taught and the way their other leaders taught. Uh, They knew it had some authority to it. Not only that, but we know that he also was sending away demonic forces and he was healing pretty much everything, whether it was a birth defect or a sickness or uh, a, an accident that had made someone lame or paralyzed. He was fixing all of those things. He was using power tools, actually the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, last week we were in 1 Corinthians 12, and Paul talked about a list of power tools, and I'll just remind you what they were. He said, you've been given by the Spirit wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, Miracles, prophecy, discernment, other languages and the interpretation of those languages, the gift of apostleship, prophecy and teaching, healing and management. And he says all these things have been given, have been given to the church for the common good. In other words, he's saying we have actually a shed full of power tools that we've been given to be the body of Christ. So we want to get back into that study. Uh, But Paul takes a break in what we call chapter 13. He's kind of warmed us up to this whole idea, and he's explaining it. And then you can see he literally pauses, and he says, I want to show you a more excellent way. So we're going to take a quick look at 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, I'm going to read the first three verses. Paul says, if I speak in the languages or tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm a percussionist, so I know what a clanging gong or noisy cymbal sounds like, right? It's the thing you just wish would stop. It has a little bit of a place to play in a symphony, but if somebody's just going at it, you just want it to stop. 
If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but don't have love, I'm nothing. So if I have all these power tools, if I as a single person possess them, and I even exercise them well, and I know how they work, and I do miraculous things, but I do it with the absence of love, it doesn't matter. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, in other words, if I make ultimate sacrifices, but I don't do them in love, I don't have love, I gain nothing. It's a wasted sacrifice. Paul is is realizing, because he's talking to the Corinthian church, this church was aware of these power tools. They had begun to practice them. Uh, but they were kind of going crazy with them. You know, everybody was plugging them in, and they were playing with them and just making a lot of noise. Everybody wanted to speak in languages, and so they were doing it at random times. They were annoying. They were like a gong or a cymbal. And so in all of this, Paul said, hey, before we go any further, before I tell you any more, I need you to know that the reason we do these things is because of love. So, if love is the key, what is love? Can you hear the song? I can hear it. What is love? Yeah, anyway. Uh, verse 4. This is what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. For some reason, this has been relegated to kind of marriage and thoughts of marriage, and we read it at weddings a lot. But Paul actually wrote these words for community. He wrote them for you, uh, for me, as Colossae Sherwood. This is the kind of disposition that we should have when we come together and we're thinking about using these power tools to encourage each other. It should flow out of this motivation that we're patient and we're kind, uh, that we don't boast and that we're not rude. And if you remember, that's what Paul was warning against. Some people were saying, um, you know, because I don't have the gift of prophecy, I don't belong to the body. That was envy. Or others were saying, you know, I have the gift of tongues, and you don't have that gift, and they were boasting. So he says it's not like that. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It gives space to other people. It's not irritable or resentful. So all of those types of attitudes, if those are present in us as we're together, we know that we are not acting out of love, and we should stop whatever we're doing and, uh, and get our hearts right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's what community life should look like. Paul goes on in verse 8. He says, love never fails. Prophecies, they will pass away. Languages... They will cease. Notice these are the tools again. Knowledge will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now in part, but then we shall know fully, even as I have been known. So what he's saying is these tools that we've been given, these spiritual gifts that we've been given, they're temporary. And we need to put them in their place of service to people because what is eternal is God and us, God and people. And all of these temporary things are just for now, but they will pass away. These languages, these, these prophecies, these tools will not always be here. 
because we will be made complete and we won't need them anymore. And so let's keep them in their proper place of serving us as temporary things to foster eternal living. And then finally, he sums up this whole part on love by saying in verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. In January, I had the opportunity to go to London for the first time. And the the reason I went was to visit a church called Holy Trinity Brompton, HTB. Anybody familiar with HTB? A couple of hands, yeah. HTB is a church that... um, was a part of the Anglican Church. It still is an Anglican Church, but many years ago, probably 30 or 40, there was some radical activity there. John Wimber actually went and visited there from Southern California, and through John's experience with the gifts of the Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the church was radically changed. And that dynamic of spiritual anointing and gifting came to the church. And out of that has grown something called Alpha. Anybody familiar with Alpha? Yeah, Alpha is, a, is an approach to inviting people who don't know Jesus into the hospitality of a church to explore the truths of the scriptures. So I went there primarily to see how they did Alpha because in 20 years they've grown from 15 people to literally 500 people taking Alpha at one time, uh, which is pretty amazing to see. Most of these people don't know Jesus and they're coming for the first time. Um, I also went there to see a church that was, in a very healthy way, practicing spiritual gifts. I wondered, what does that look like? How do they do it in a healthy way that's sustainable and not crazy and not offensive or annoying? And uh, for all that I went to see, what I didn't go to see but came home with more than anything was the reality of these three words. And I was there for an entire week, and I met with the whole church. We worshiped, we prayed, um, we did Alpha. I met with leaders and talked to them one-on-one. And the dominating characteristics of this church were faith and hope and love. No matter who I talked to, these were the characteristics that, that are of these people. Everywhere that I went, people truly believed that God loved them deeply and that he loves the city of London and that he's working to redeem the city. They truly believe that God will win, that Jesus will win, and that they are working toward that end. And they truly believe that that they were called to love people. And no matter who I met with, no matter what contacts we were in, all I, all I sensed was faith, hope, and love. And it, it made me come home and say, that's what, what I want to be a part of in church, is that we are, that the dominating aspects of our culture as a church are faith, hope, and love. That people would get to know us a bit, and after just a couple of times with us, they would say, man, these people trust God. They have hope for the future and for life now. And they love me, and they love God. Faith, hope, and love. So after this break, Paul comes back to talking about how to practice these gifts or to use these power tools. So in verse, uh, now in chapter 14, he says this. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a language, and again, remember, Paul is addressing a church that was getting a little hung up with tongues, with, with languages. They were having too much fun with it, and it was being... It was being distracting. And so he says, One who speaks in a language speaks not to people, but to God. For the, and no one understands him, because he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding, encouraging, and consolation. Or in this case, I would use the words from the NIV, strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. The one who speaks in a language builds up himself. But the one who speaks prophecy 
builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in languages, but even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater or has a greater impact than the one who speaks in a language unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So here Paul is, is getting really practical, and he's saying in the practice of these gifts, this is what love looks like. Love takes out a tool from the box and uses it for the benefit of everyone else in the room and not for itself. And it's human nature that, you know, you pick this up and you just pull the trigger and like, oh, this is really fun. What can I cut? Uh, but the goal with, with a hedge trimmer is not to go cut stuff because it's fun. It's actually to shape a hedge to be what it should be. And in the same way, as we um, use whatever gifts the Spirit has given us, we need to make sure that it's not for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of others. Uh, and sometimes that's hard to discern. For the next 19 verses, Paul goes on to explain in depth this whole uh, contrast between tongues and prophecy. So we're going to skip that and move on down to verse 26. And this is his concluding remarks here, uh, really getting uh, to the application. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a language, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a language, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpretation, let each one of them keep silent in the church and keep speaking to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first one be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So he actually describes a really orderly, uh, uh, I would say a, a gathering that was done in love, where there's preference for one another. Uh, even so far as to say, if you're actually standing and sharing a prophecy from the Spirit, and someone sitting there immediately has something to interrupt you with, you should sit down and let yourself be interrupted. So it's a real submission to the Holy Spirit in that experience. The three words I want to key on today are the words strengthen, encourage, and comfort. God has equipped us all to contribute to the strength, encouraging, and comfort of everyone else. Now, I don't know why, but the church has left these, this passage behind for a lot of years. And I, it'd be fun to have just a discussion with you guys and see what you think. Why do we not practice this kind of worship? I would say the closest thing that I've ever experienced was actually with the Plymouth Brethren Church. I don't know if any of you have ever been a part of the Plymouth Brethren. But they actually have what they call the breaking of bread service. And they, they're a church that believes in being led by lay people only, so nobody's on staff. And the way they worship is one person starts the morning off with something they believe is what needs to be heard. They're hoping to hear from the Holy Spirit. They kind of pray and get ready. And then they come on Sunday and they share for about 10 minutes. Uh, for instance, someone could come and say, you know, today I really believe God wants us to focus on the hands of Jesus, the hands of Jesus. And so they might talk about the story where uh, Jesus approaches Thomas after his resurrection and says, Thomas, look at my hands. Here's the evidence that I'm alive from the dead. And then that person would sit down, and the next 40 minutes of the gathering was entirely spontaneous. And we just waited on each other. Uh, there were a couple of... Uh, 
uh, instrumentalists. There was someone at the piano and somebody at the organ who were ready to play, and they could play just about anything uh, at a moment's notice. Uh, but we would just wait, and then people would share. They would share, they would pray, they would read scripture. Uh, but it was spontaneous, and some days it was flat, <laughs> and you just kind of waited. But most days it was pretty dynamic, and it was pretty amazing. And there was just this strong sense that that gathering was led by the Holy Spirit. And it, it sounded so much like this. Everyone was contributing, or multiple people were contributing. Um, and then it would always end at the table, just like we end. And it was a pretty incredible gathering. And I'm not sure why that doesn't continue. Um, so why are we talking about this? Are we going to start doing that? No, not necessarily. We're talking about it because underneath this, no matter what the application looks like, are some really huge, helpful things that we, as the church in America, aren't really stepping into. And the major ones is this idea that God has equipped every one of us to participate and to contribute. And we've really gone far away from that, at least on Sundays. We just look for a couple of people to contribute, and the rest of us receive. And granted, some amazing stuff comes out of that. And maybe the application and experience of this passage isn't necessarily for Sunday. Maybe it's for community group. Maybe it's for uh, gatherings on a different time. Uh, I kind of have a vision, perhaps, of us having like a monthly seek night where we get together on a weekend night, like a Friday, and just spend an hour uh, waiting on the Spirit and kind of practicing these gifts. But I do want to ask you to consider, in our culture today, and in the rhythms that we live in, how can we as a church invite all of us to more fully lead and participate in the dynamic of, of one another? Uh, this is for strengthening, encouraging, and building up. Who doesn't need that on any given week? Uh, and you all have unique gifts. When we do focus on the one or the two, like myself, um, you're going to receive in this half hour of my talking the limited amount of what my gifting is, which primarily for me is shepherding, uh, not actually teaching, but shepherding and connecting and speaking truth to you and speaking wisdom. That's my gift. But I want to hear from the prophets, and I want to hear from the teachers, and I want to hear from others as well. So I guess what I'm doing is inviting you with me and the rest of our leaders to ask God, what could this look like for us today, you know, in Tualatin and Sherwood and, and uh, the rest of the places that we're from, for us to really come alive as the church, all of us, and participate and use all the power tools, whatever they are. We could debate about whether the power tools are for day, today. Many churches say that they're not. Um, I, I've ex seen most of them. I haven't practiced them or I don't have them myself. Uh, but I've seen people I dearly love pray to God in another language, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful. And I've heard stories of people who are speaking in other languages, and there are actually people in the room who know them, and it actually becomes a testimony. It even says later on in the passage that even when non-believers come into a gathering of Christians who are sharing together in powerful ways using these tools, they will say, truly God is here. And that's what what I hope we all desire is not that people would meet us and say, those are really nice people. They're all pretty kind, and they're, they're nice to be with. I, that's true already, and that's a good thing. But, but don't we desire beyond that for people to say, these people have a relationship with God, and God is in them. And what happens when they get together is unlike any other community gathering I've ever seen. 
God is truly among them. And that could look a lot of different ways. I don't mean to prescribe what it will look like. I only ask you to join me in asking God to show us what he wants it to look like. How do we all together, you know, walk daily in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, gather together and all be ready to give as much as to receive. Three questions I want you to consider uh, as we do some singing and as we come to the communion table. The first one is, do you love us? It really has to start here. Um, 30 years ago, I was sitting in a class at Multnomah Bible College, and this is the question that this guy asked us, do you love us? I just found out his name is Jim Lincoln. He's actually pastoring a church here in Sherwood, a little tiny church that's closing its doors at the end of the year, uh, that little country church out on Lad Hill. Um, but Jim asked this question, and I never forgot it. He said, Rick, he said to all of us, gentlemen, <laughs> when you pastor a church, the number one thing you need to ask is, can you love those people? And if you can't answer that question heartily, then don't even try. Because if you don't start here, then there's nothing more to do. So I would say to us, to ask this question regularly, do I love these people? And then secondly, who here needs strength, encouragement, and comfort? So maybe it's not a Sunday. Maybe it's your community group during the week. Uh, or maybe it's someone you're going to have coffee with. But ask yourself the question, does this person or these people or this group in front of me or someone in the group today need strength or encouragement or comfort? And if they do, and I'm sure the answer is probably always yes, anybody today here could use one of these three things? Anybody? Okay, okay. Yeah. So what would it look like for us to meet the need through the power of the Spirit? Strength, encouragement, and comfort. And then finally, the last question. What power tool has God given you to meet one of those needs? Can you discern even the inklings or the beginnings of a sense of the strength that God has given you in the Holy Spirit, that place that you might in particular be able to powerfully work? I could even ask you that right now, if, if you feel free and don't mind telling the rest of us. Who would say that they feel like, yeah, I do kind of know one of the strengths that the Spirit has given me? What would you say to that question? Yeah. Kevin? Okay, the ability to manage some things. Okay, great. Prayer, yeah, and that probably is coupled with faith, I would imagine, prayer and faith, yeah. Anybody feel like they've been gifted with prophecy? Scanning, 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 I don't see anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, this would be helpful, I think. Let me just characterize that. Prophecy, in simple words, is simply having a sense of the heart of God for someone or for a group of someone. So if you think about the prophets that spoke, God said, I need you to go tell my people this. And what they told him, what was on God's heart, whether it was an affirmation or it was correction or a challenge, it was what was on God's heart. Uh, and and I want to contrast that. As a human, you can have some good thoughts as well. We're actually talking about what we ourselves can't come up with. This is me thinking of some nice, good words that might encourage Kevin. And that's good. I can trim a couple of branches. But this is me listening to the Spirit and praying and saying, 
God, what is on your heart? Not my heart. What's on your heart for Kevin? What could I say to Kevin today that's for you? And that would be the gift of prophecy where he could understand the heart of God for him or for the group. I know for sure that where all of this begins is in prayer. I think that's the safest place that we can start or that we can move forward is in prayer. And I would say, especially in your homes and in communities that, you, that you, we gather in throughout the week, that we pray and we start or maybe continue praying into this idea of, Father, it's good for us to be together. And I love coming to my community group. And we've eaten and we've caught up. But does anybody need strength today? Does anybody need encouragement tonight? Does anybody need comfort? And could we find that need in us right now as we're together? And maybe just to pray into that. You know, Father, help us out. Show us how you can do this. What do you guys think? Are you up for moving in this direction? All right. Anybody object? Okay. I'm not asking that, that we become a charismatic church. I'm only asking that we grow in really becoming one with Father, Son, and Spirit. And out of that oneness, letting the power and the work of God flow through us. And not just be nice humans, but be like, oh my gosh, powerful humans uh, with things that no one else can offer. That's what Jesus did. Nobody could offer what Jesus did. And Jesus said to his disciples, okay, I've been the light of the world, and now you're going to be the light of the world. We are the body of Christ in Sherwood and Tualatin and Newburgh and Tigard. And we are to be powerful, and we are to be unique for the sake of love. When you come to the tables today... um, just remember, this is the doorway that allows all of this to happen. Before Jesus' death and resurrection, people only were temporarily assisted by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said uh, that after my death and resurrection, the Spirit of God will actually live in you, will come to dwell in you. And that doorway was opened through the table. And so remember the blood that was poured out, a new covenant in my blood. Uh, and remember the body that was given, the sacrifice for sin. And let's ask these questions together. Let's press into this. And I would love to hear from you as you pray and think and study and experience, you know, what's God doing? Let's tell stories. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And so we know that it's true. And even as we kind of talk about these things, we, they whet our appetite. And we want to know, Father, How do you want your church, this church, the people in this room, to live out the life of Jesus in our own lives? God, we thank you for where we've come so far. We thank you for the love that we share. We thank you for the kindness and the help that we've been to one another. But we also say, Father, we want more. We want more. We want to be more in and of ourselves. We want to be more uh, strengthening and encouraging. We want to be more comforting to others. And so would you fill us more, help us understand more. And as a community, Jesus, we say yes to whatever it looks like for this group to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to move and to see and to perceive and to receive and to express the gifts, the power tools, whatever they are. Uh, But Father, lead us, Holy Spirit, lead us, make us the church that you long for us to be. And now just receive our worship in Jesus' name.